From somewhere deep in the cloud and the corners of the earth, this is the Killing It Podcast with a focus on helping you make sense and dollars of all things IT with your hosts, Dave Sobel, Ryan Morris, and Carl Polichuk. Welcome to episode 143 of the Killing It Killing Podcast. I'm Carl, joined today by Dave and Ryan, and we are ready for an awesome show. Guys, I got a good question this week, and it's very holiday-related as we think about heading home to your families. What board game do you like most? Well, I'll answer both the most and least. Least is Monopoly, because even though I enjoy Monopoly, it never ends. Like they, you, there sure. literally should be a it, the board should have a flip tool on it so that after six hours it just turns itself over. It's like yeah, it doesn't matter who won. My favorite is uh, Scrabble. It's uh, it, it gets just the right length of time to finish, and it's enjoyable and it's smart. It's funny because that's Sharon. That's Sharon's favorite, and and I and I'm not on board with Scrabble. And it's funny I'm not a board game guy. Uh, I'm I, in general, and I rebel against a certain degree of like, and I've always never been into card games, but if you need me to sit around and do something, I will throw out it's a cheat a little in that it's a card game, but I will play cards against humanity. I will always play cards against humanity. <laughs> when asked for a board game, I will offer cards against humanity in order to divert away from a board from game. From a board game. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't Dungeons and Dragons a board game? It is not. It is not. No. You can play in its purest form. It's books and it is uh, imagination. Which I do right. also play, <laughs> Ryan. See, but uh, now I, I, I just learned something very important here. Why my brain clicks with Carl's brain? Because I am on both of those exact same pages. <laughs> A, I despise Monopoly. I, uh, let's put it this way: I've played that game hundreds of times. I have literally never in my life won a game of Monopoly against any opponent. I've tried every strategy, buy everything, go around real quick, don't buy anything, every strategy in between. I cannot figure that damn game out, and it just makes my brain want to explode. But if you give me an opportunity to play Scrabble, well, let's just say I have a big vocabulary, and I enjoy playing Scrabble more than other people enjoy playing Scrabble against. The worst, the worst part about Monopoly is I'm sure I've won over the years, but there is no joy in it because everybody's pissed off at that point. <laughs> <laughs> See, and that is the true sign of a good holiday exactly. family board game. At the end of it, everybody regrets being here for the holiday for at least a couple of hours. Well, while you're thinking ahead, everyone, if you want to do us, we're going to do this question live. You'll be able to join us on January 19th for our next Killing It Live. Go to killingitlive.com and you will be able to get all the information. We will be doing that at... Uh, it, let me get the all the times right. Nine Pacific, noon Eastern. So sign up there for Killing It Live. This week we're brought to you by our friends at PCMatic. Think you know PCMatic? Think again. PCMatic is working with MSPs to deliver true zero trust, default deny, endpoint security, allowing only trusted applications and blocking all the rest. A lightweight, simple to deploy, and easy to manage approach to application allow listing. Layering a default deny approach provides MSPs of all sizes the ability to again focus on prevention, and PCMatic delivers this without impacting performance or efficiency. 
Find out more by visiting PCMatic.com slash MSP and be sure to ask about PCMatic's exclusive lead sharing program for MSPs backed by a primetime national TV campaign. Well, we have just the strangest topic for topic number one. And, and it is called, and I want you to write this down and go look, look at it after the podcast. Birds aren't real. <laughs> there was a guy, a Gen Z guy, just sort of fed up with uh, all of the weird counter-reality movements. And he literally tore a sticker, tore a poster off a wall and turned it over and wrote on the back, birds aren't real. And then proceeded to create an entire conspiracy about how the government has replaced all the birds with drones. And they sell t-shirts and they have an amazing following on TikTok and Instagram. They get together in uh, groups and they talk about this. They've written up an entire fake history of their movement and a fake history of how the, all of the birds in the United States have been replaced by drones. And it's hilarious. It's intended to point out how stupid some of the stuff that's going on today is. and how this kind of made up fake uh, movement uh, can just spring out of nowhere and take off. And uh, now they're slowly starting to say, okay, all you people who've been following us, let's go do something good for the universe. And so uh, they're getting to ready to uh, announce what the next step is. But this whole concept of putting up billboards and posters and burning things and saying birds aren't real is humorous and enjoyable, but also has kind of a, a fun uh, message to it as well. What do you think? So I would go off on the very first level of uh, it is hysterical and it is impressive how hard they had to commit to get the concept rolling, right? The, 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 the centerpiece, the man who is the guru, um, it took him a couple of years to get it to the point where he had to tell the story with enough sincerity, enough tone of voice and enough commitment that people believed that he believed. Right. And now he has come out and said, okay, fine guys, there is a reason behind this. There is a story. I don't actually believe that birds are not real, but there's a meaning and a purpose. Now I take this to a much higher level, right? As a person who does research for a living and tries to use the evidence from research to rationalize or justify the decisions that we make in business and in finances and other things, it reminds me very much about just how delicate people's uh, reference sources might actually be. In an internet-enabled world where you've got access to unlimited amounts of stuff, anybody can prove anything with a piece of data from the interweb. And it does remind me that if you are an influencer, a thought leader, a whatever, data matters. Evidence is important and you ought to be able to bring more than just your opinion into an argument. And uh, no, that's not just a commercial for people who do research for a living. That should be the foundation of a grown-up well, wasn't society. it? Wasn't it Abraham Lincoln who said, you can't believe everything you see on the internet? Like, exactly. <laughs> so, it's me. I mean, so it's interesting that you went that way, Ryan, because I went a slightly different way with my thinking on it. I actually, I love exploring 
kind of Gen Z humor and trying to understand the different uses of the technology, particularly by people that are digital natives, right? That have, have had that exposure and that experience the entire time. Their experience is very different from my experience, where of course I was introduced to it and I remember the before times. Uh, I literally just was before we were coming on, on for this, I'd, I'd spotted a story about uh, somebody who created a Twitter space with a fake McDonald's drive-thru. That was that was entirely the, the bit where she just played the drive-thru person for hours. And the goal was to get to 24 hours and, and Twitter ran out of capacity for it at about 15. But the entire time she's taking orders like a virtual McDonald's drive-thru. Uh, and everybody got in on the bit, right? And even she was the one who had broke character a little bit more than everyone else. It's this idea of playing with the tech that fascinates me. This idea of how can I take these tools and reassemble them in interesting ways like social commentary or different styles of comedy and the way it's more natural to those who've had them the whole time is why for some of us, it's like, well, I don't understand their humor. It's like, well, because they have always had these tools and so they are more natural to them in different ways that aren't to us. And for me, it was that element to try and explore more of it. Of, well, this is what happens when it's intuitive to use tools like this. Well, and it's also something, if you think about it, literally, you couldn't have done this 10 years ago. Like, people would go, okay, he's just an idiot, and then they move on. <laughs> so there is something that's very much about this is possible now because you're holding a mirror up to a, an element of society that, you know, has just sort of appeared out of nowhere. And, um, and it's like, okay, is this serious or not serious? And the point is, it's both at the same time. Well, and, and that, to your point, Dave, um, as a person who uses these tools for a reason, like I think I fall into that category of people who take themselves too seriously and take, we're a little too precious with the tools and the technologies that are available. Sometimes using very powerful internet connected technologies can be used to make the world a better place. And sometimes you just want to poke people in the eye and, and say, don't take yourself too seriously. I think that that's a very healthy takeaway for me from this conversation. Stop taking yourself too seriously. But it also does raise that larger question of, you know, I think they have a point that maybe so many of these things that we are all so very passionate about online might amount to just a crock of nothing if you actually get inside of them. So maybe their their social commentary is 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 more accurate than we wish that it were. Well, so you know, my my brother who passed away a couple years ago loved to embrace bizarre things that he did not believe, right? But he would tell he would he would get on Facebook and he would say, okay. I counted 17 contrails and the ones that cross each other are the ones that cause lightning, you know, and it'd be like that kind of crap, which he completely knows is, is not true. But then everything that supports the existence of this, you know, he would spread it around. And it was just for him, it was literally just fun. And, you know, it's funny, we've talked about, you know, the headsets for virtual reality. It's maybe that humans brains are fertile enough we don't need headsets for virtual reality we can just have fun with every technology <laughs> that's in front of us 
Oh, well, you're going down another teased metaverse conversation that I'm not having today. <laughs> Clearly, we've we've flirted with this twice. I think this has to go on to the onto the schedule here in terms of actually do something with it. It does. We, we've all talked about it just around the edges. Now we got to get serious and come back and actually talk about it. <laughs> but Maybe next week. In lieu of that, I'm going to move us on to topic number two here, which has, again, very interesting multiple dimensions to it because I read this story on one side. Well, we're going to point you guys to an article via the New York Times that is highlighting how Western-style YouTube influencers are being used deliberately as a part of a campaign by the Chinese government to alter perceptions that you and I and everybody else in the West has about China. Now, we all know live in a world where there are very polarized opinions about, you know, China's role in the world economically, politically, militarily, etc. There are very divergent opinions. And the Chinese have recognized that maybe their brand is not as positive as it has been recently. And so they are doing something about it. Now, I see this as multiple sides. Again, there's geopolitics going on. There is the effect of YouTube influencers going on, and there are some other uh, message-based things that I think are interesting. I'm, I'm fascinated to hear what you guys think about the YouTubers that are changing Western opinions about China. What say you? Well, I'm reminded of the uh, the, the book, The uh, 100-Year Marathon, that, you know, China has this long-term plan, and they know, and they've been practicing this for 60 years, they know how to pick out Americans and other Westerners who, for whatever reason, love China and want to always spin it in the positive light. And now they're just taking that to the next level. And it is literally completely foreseeable and a natural thing. And China's really pushing back on their reputation in the world. You know, I mean, questioning last week, you know, questioning the U.S. of, you know, are you telling us that we don't treat our, our citizens well? Are you saying that our citizens are not happy? Um, you know, and we like to show this, the different story, but clearly they've got their perspective. And it's not quite the splinter verse, but it is a somewhat of a splinter in reality. It follows on the previous story. <laughs> well, I, I'm going to laugh. Wasn't Abraham Lincoln who, because uh, it, it's like I could use the exact same statement right here. Right. And, 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 but, but this is the other side of that. Like, these tools are incredibly powerful in positive ways, in satirical ways, and in propaganda ways. Like, the ability to deliver information en masse that you can shape however you want is incredibly powerful. And, and so, you know, one of the, you know, for me, I'm going to go down for this story. I'm going to actually go down the, like, by the way, everyone, this is why like media education matters, like understanding your source, what sources are, that not all opinions are equal, <laughs> uh, you know, that, that, you know, understanding the value of, of sourcing and information, where it comes from and how information spreads, like that is an actual skill. And if we want people to have it, we have to invest in giving it to them. And for me, for me it's that is where, you know, the, it all comes back down to like education, big all air quotes. But that's where I got, where I took on this story was the, we as citizens 
are lose seem to be losing our ability to go further and ask the question of well has this been sourced is this coming from somewhere that i want and again not all opinions are the same i can make many lewd quips about opinions and portions of the body uh <laughs> but but you know because everyone has an opinion uh and so but but that's that's a reason and they are not all equal everyone's opinion is not all equal you can have respect for individual people and all people are equal but not all opinions are equal they just simply aren't <laughs> i was gonna say that there's a long-term thing that we've seen in the media forever which is you can take a camera and look on the right side of the street and get one view of America or China and go on the other side of the street and get a different view. And, um, you know, that's always been the case. And editors choose the stories they're going to run. And in the United States, there isn't anybody controlling the editors, although uh, there's plenty of arguments to be made about, you know, that they're self-selecting into a certain group. Uh, in China, there is somebody controlling the editors, right? I mean, that in, in many ways, that's the difference. Like, we get both sides of the story, they get one. And, and, and see, that's the thing, right, Carl? I'll, I'll go with, combine where both of you guys are coming from, because I think that this is, this is a big, important topic that people need to stop and think carefully about. On the one side, there is a central control of a 100-year playbook, but that playbook has been updated for modern technology in just the last couple of months. They're using new tools, they are applying new techniques, and they are disseminating information in a way that couldn't have been possibly conceived of when that 100-year playbook was, was actually originally devised. You couldn't have imagined that it wouldn't be official state-controlled media that would be disseminating the information. It'd be a guy and his son, who travel to interesting places and video themselves doing very interesting and dynamic things that tourists would want to do. And then they put that out on their own YouTube channel, and they publish it to the world, and the entire world gets a completely different point of view. Now, one of the things I think personally is very interesting, we all travel the world, right? Like the three of us, enjoy going to the world and seeing things. And I have personally had more than a handful of conversations with different legit organizations about being an influencer from the other side of the world. I've traveled China many times. I find it fascinating. I find the culture interesting, the geography, the food, whatever, right? And people have said, well, you should tell your story about what your experiences have been in China, around the world, in various specific locations. As an individual, I think that's amazing as an opportunity. I think it's very, very interesting to think that you would be an apparatus of somebody else's point of view where you didn't even realize that you were part of the propaganda machine. That is very sobering, and it's something that we need to be careful about which messages not only do you choose to believe, but what you choose to amplify around the world. There's, Like you said, Carl, there's more than one side to any of these stories. You need to be careful to make sure that you're not just out there with your influence on your platform spouting things that you have not thoroughly vetted, because we all now have a microphone that's much larger than it used to be. 
So I'm going to tie this tie this up with a little bit of tactical advice for most of our audience. We know is IT service providers, those in IT service delivery. I think there isn't enough investment by most providers in this kind of me- in messaging and authenticity on uh, in, in the way they're delivering their message. And I can tell you that I've spent a good portion of my week poking around on IT service providers' websites as a part of a project that I'm working on. Wow, they're boring, and wow, they're all the same, and wow, there is not much difference to that. And so, whereas, and on one hand, we've literally talked about two stories here where there's interesting content that is being used for for different purposes to deliver messaging, and then I contrast that with the information that I've been gathering from people's uh, you know people's marketing efforts, and I just have to highlight the. Come on, everybody. We can do a far better job Amen. of doing that. <laughs> but I'm going to move us on to topic number three, which is a Wired article that dives into what you need to know before you take a job in a hybrid workplace. I loved, I, I dug into this article. I really enjoyed it because it put the question that I've been asking a lot about the world of work and the way the, the world work of the future is constructed. And it put on the... Hot, the employee's hat, and it thought about the new the, the person coming on, which I thought was a really interesting way to frame the conversation, what to know to seek out good culture when you're interviewing, as well as what to do when you're there. Uh, and it was around, most of the stuff in here was, was elements of using the tech correctly, understanding the cultural bit, and it's this whole bit around actual culture that really drove the interesting piece. Uh, guys, what, what was your take on this article? I agree that the culture piece is the most interesting. I actually am interested in this article, even though most of it is not what I would call surprising. I'm, I'm happy to see us moving into, okay, what are the rules going forward, right? We've sort of made fun of the hybrid office as, you know, every office is going to be hybrid from now on. At some level, that's true. Um, I think it's super important to note that there are people, especially young people, who want to go to work because that's where their social life is. That's where they meet people. That's where they actually have a life and they don't want to, they they don't, to be honest, they don't have nice houses. So they sit in the one bedroom in a crappy apartment, right? They actually like going to work where the walls are freshly painted, and the counters are clean and, you know. So, but, you know, the, we have to acknowledge that there's many, many different kinds of people. And the three of us have been happy to work remotely for decades. Um, and we are not the norm. We are not the common number, even though many people have joined us in the last two years. Uh, many of those people will want to go back to the office. And that's not just young people, but but all people. Um, but there's some challenges of how you build a, a culture from the ground up with minimal human contact. So it's I think this is a story that, you know, we're going to touch from time to time for probably the next 10 years. I, I agree with you. And I think that we are in an inflection point because the news headlines of the last several weeks have just once again come back to, Oh, we're going to delay indefinitely our return to office date. Oh, we were planning it in September and it got pushed to October and then November, December, et cetera, et cetera. And very many large technology companies in the past uh, two weeks have moved that date out to infinity. Basically, it's like, we'll let you know when something different comes up. 
I believe that that it is time once and for all to admit if hybrid is going to be part of your reality, it is a skill that can be developed organizationally as well as individually. And it requires that we begin by understanding not only is there a way to do it well, but most of us are new to it and we suck at it. We're not good yet as organizations at working remotely because we, we keep just holding on, like, please come back to the office, do it the way that I'm comfortable. Let's get back to the way that things always have been. Not going to happen. Well, that is not just the company's responsibility. Yes, there is a way to set up teams and systems and data access and collaboration opportunities, business cycles, management relationships, all of these things are the responsibility of businesses to learn how to work effectively in a hybrid world. But every one of you and us individually contributes to this concept of culture that you're describing, Carl. It is not just your boss's responsibility to make hybrid okay. It is you. What do you bring to the table? How do you interact? Are you proactive? Are you engaged? Don't sit back and complain to me that, well, hybrid is hard because there's not a culture I never hear from any of my peers without being somebody who actually reaches out and connects with your peers. It is a very individual thing that I, I think businesses, whether you're two people or 2,000 people in an organization, a hybrid culture requires proactive engagement. You can't just sit back and let it happen to you. You cannot just wait for somebody else to make this thing better. It's part of your job to bring something to the table as well. Yeah, and I'm I'm gonna gonna remind everybody. You know, the number one people reason people quit jobs is their manager. Why right? <laughs> it's it, and and thus if you want to build a culture that supports this. You're going to have to invest in that. You're going to have to invest in their people and you're going to have to invest in creating the education and, and methodology around people to make this deliberate choices. I one, one of the reasons why I continue to be so fascinated and interested in this space is that there will not be one answer because there are so many answers and so many different kinds of organizations and people and cultures and outcome that it is this incredibly complicated multi-pronged area that will have many different outcomes that are different based on all of the variables in an organization that's why i love it right it's complicated i like complicated problems complicated problems are where the money is and by the way at this point you know there, anybody who says they have the answer or know what they're doing is lying. They do not know. Now you can apply deliberate techniques and deliberate testing and deliberate effort to go in in an intentional direction. But anybody who says, oh, I know exactly how to solve all of this, they're wrong because they don't know exactly how to solve this. They may have elements of a previous experience. They're gonna have elements of understanding of the way culture is done, but there is a certain uniqueness to all of the circumstances that's not going to make this one size fits all. So I think that, you know, this is highlighting the fact that some new technology has now has the opportunity to emerge and help people create more culture. 
to create more connectedness, to create more continuity between processes and procedures in a somewhat more remote uh, environment. I could literally see a tool where you slide something left to right. How remote are you? 40%, 80%, you know, 30%. You, you set your, your remoteness and it gives you guidance and tips about activities and procedures that will make that level of remoteness uh, most effective with regard to both culture and consistency because your processes and procedures are hard to pass on if people never talk to each other. So, you know, it's a, it, it's a whole different animal, but there is an opportunity there for the right programmer. By, by the way, let me just say two things. Um, trademark, killing it, Carl Polachuk. 2021 December. Um, that was a really good idea, Carl. And somebody's about to go make that piece of software. That's a that's a very. Yeah, I know. Seriously, we keep giving away the good ideas while we're busy. Um, that's a tremendous idea because context drives everything in this conversation. Is the organization large or small? Is the organization multi-location or single location? Has it been around for a week or for a hundred years? Are there are there you know, certain cultural boundaries? Are there certain generational boundaries? Are there certain financial boundaries, etc.? All of those are going to come in. But Carl, I've been reading your stuff for years on the topic of culture. And no matter how smart we think we are, no matter how experienced we have been, no matter how in control of technology we are, there are still people involved and people have personalities and personalities combine to create culture. There is no such thing as the right culture. There is no such thing as a good culture. There is yours. And then you get to determine how you contribute and how you interact. But this is the good news and why I think our audience needs to be paying attention to this right now. None of that can happen without the proper application of modern technology. If you are remote, hybrid, etc., you cannot do any of these things in any size of organization without a good internet connection, without a collaboration platform, without data sharing tools, dot, dot, dot. It's not just a nice to have. Technology is literally the connective tissue of an organization at a fundamental level that used to just be occupied by real estate. Now we live in a digital world. So crap, now we have to really come back and talk about the metaverse. Well, I'll tell you, Ryan, you said everything. I agree with what you said, but I can tell you there are bad cultures out there. Correct. And I can definitely identify those. <laughs> that is correct. That is that is a more accurate way to explain my point. So there is a good culture by definition because there's a bad culture. <laughs> so... <laughs> It's that bad culture that creates all the consultants. They all quit their jobs and go into being consultants. <laughs> I've always said bad managers have created more consultants than anything else in the history of the world. Sadly, gentlemen, that will do it for episode 143 of the Killing It, Killing it. podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Killing It podcast. Please share with your friends and tell everyone to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and all the podcast places. Join us next week and help us keep killing it in the technology business.